2: Welcome to the Week 11 Recap Roundup Game Review, whatever you want to call it, edition of this Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Doris. So glad you're with us again. Thanks for sticking with us through, I guess, 11 weeks now, and hopefully you do the same thing through Week 16. Uh, Not too much of an exciting week, not to downplay this episode at all, but it certainly was no Week 10. But there were some important performances that all of you need to hear about. And again, we've got all of our writers with the games that they watched, breaking every single one down. Again, we have podcasts, this one on Mondays, another one on Tuesdays, then one on Thursday, and one on Friday. So if you enjoy what you hear, listen to those as well. All right, let's kick this thing off. The Dallas Cowboys improved to 6-4 and four with a 35-27 to 27 win on the road over the Detroit Lions, who fall now to 3-6-1. and one. Ian Hartitz had that game for us. Uh, Ian, every time I looked up, it seemed like the Cowboys were doing like just enough to lead, yet the Lions kept keeping it close over and over and over again. Dak Prescott did have a great stat line following up maybe the best performance of his career, now 29 of 46, 444 and 3 touchdowns.
3: Yeah, I mean, Dak was awesome throughout the afternoon, but it was also like the Lions could hardly get anywhere near him with their pass rush for the whole time, too. So just kind of like the perfect storm from the Cowboys offense because they really couldn't get the running game uh, going that much. You know, 24 carries at a team, only 75 yards. But it was interesting to see the shift between this week versus last. Cause, you know, we remember against the Vikings there at the end of the game, they really kind of took the ball out of Dak's hands almost just to try to force feed it to Zeke. That wasn't the case this week. I mean, even on the last drive of the game, usually we see the Cowboys give the ball to Zeke three times, try to get 10 yards. They did that once, and then they went ahead and did a little play-action bootleg. They were able to hit a Blake draw for 20 yards and not even have to worry about trying to run it out. So interesting kind of change of philosophy there. De- it was definitely one of Kellen Moore's better uh, overall called games, I think, You know, especially with Amari Cooper playing some limited snaps. But you said it. I mean, the Lions uh, refused to go away. You know, it was a second straight performance from Jeff Driscoll, where even if he's not a guy that's going to be like a long-term answer per se, the guy's fun to watch, and he's, he's, better than, he's better than most backup quarterbacks we see, so he can at least keep things competitive out there.
2: So talk to me why Amari Cooper was limited. I mean, he just caught three of eight targets for 38 yards. Uh, I mean, outside of that, Michael Gallup went absolutely off 13 targets, nine receptions, 148 yards. Randall Cobb had a big day, seven targets, four receptions, 115 yards. So while Amari Cooper is still the team's best wide receiver, the other receivers did better in this performance.
3: Yeah, you know, we've seen Cooper popping up a lot in the injury report over the last few weeks, and he'll, he'll, like, miss a practice on Wednesday, quickly tell the media, like, everything's okay. I'll be out there Sunday. And he's out there Sunday, sure enough. So it's nothing that's kept him off the field at this point, but he's clearly not at 100%. I mean, he only played, I think, 55 or 56% of snaps. Now, with that said, like you said, still had eight targets, and the Cowboys did seem to make an effort to, when he was out there on the field, get him the ball. The problem was today, Darius Slade, you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league, have one of his better games this season. Hmm. Everywhere Amari went, Slade was right there in his hip pocket. So it was a bad mix of limited snaps, and even more so when he was getting the targets, he had Slade nearby.
2: Ezekiel Elliott, like you mentioned, just 45 yards. He did have a touchdown on the ground on 16 carries. Uh, He was somewhat involved in the receiving game. Three targets, two receptions, 28 yards, and a score, but that's not nearly as much as we used to see from Zeke, at least last season. Tony Pollard, a bit of an injection of playmaking ability. Uh, 12 yards on the ground, 44 yards in the air, including a touchdown and four receptions.
3: Yeah, and that's you said it with Zeke. It's been tough to get consistent pass game usage out of him this season. He did have a nice 17 yard touchdown off a of screen. I mean, it's not it's not that he can't function as more of a you know pure receiving back. I mean, he's almost like a Carmelian as a running back. You know, he can kind of form any role you want him to be in any given situation. But with that said, Pollard just does bring a little little something different, a little extra juice. I think uh, to them in the receiving game and the way they get him involved this week was awesome. You know, two or three of those pop passes where they got him moving before the snap. And then his touchdown actually came on a cross where he was lined up in the slot and they kind of lost him in coverage. And when you lose a guy like Pollard and you get the ball in his hands, it's a problem because now you got a running back uh, in the open field against cornerbacks and safety. So it was good to see the Cowboys finding that a little bit of a better mix with the running backs this week. With that said, I think Pollard's final snap rate was still only thirteen. So mm. I think we're still I think we're still a ways away from him approaching anything, you know, resembling standalone value in fantasy. But at the very least, the guy's proving week after week that, you know, he probably does deserve more touches and he is one of, if not the single best handcuffs of fantasy football.
2: It's been an interesting season for the Cowboys. If people listen to the podcast during the week, they know that like I still have this Undying appreciation for this team and this belief that I still think they can make it far in the playoffs. They started off 3-0, and then lost three straight. Now I've won three of the last four. They do have the Patriots um, during Thanksgiving week. Uh, Ian, I do want to ask you about the Lions side of this because you mentioned Jeff Driscoll, 15-26, 209, two touchdowns. Uh, he did have another 51 yards and a rushing score on the ground. Let me ask you about Bo Scarborough, though, because this is a name – who is the team's leading rusher, without like being on the team this entire week. I believe he was caught up from a practice squad. You know, for weeks it had been like, oh, is it Ty Johnson? Is it J.D. McKissick? Who's going to be that guy? Well, I guess it instantly was instilled that it's Bo Scarborough. For 14 carries, 55 yards, and a score on the ground.
3: Yeah, the Paul Perkins experiments over, they came in this Sunday just with Scarborough, Ty Johnson, who managed to clear the concussion protocol over the weekend, and J.D. McKissick, so – I don't know, man. I was expecting Ty Johnson. We saw him these last two weeks when he wasn't banged up, like he was operating as kind of the lead back in a 50 to 60 uh, percent snap roll. Maybe Scarborough could be annoyingly involved on, you know, er, on uh, short yardage stuff. But no, that wasn't the case at all. Bo got the start. Looked pretty good out there. I mean, 23 yard touchdown run. He was out there breaking some tackles. The guy is tough to get to the ground. I mean, at the very least, if you give him an open lane, you know, he's going to be a handful to get to the ground. He's going to fall forward if he doesn't break the tackle altogether so i think the big takeaway is that this is a revolving backfield that seems to change every other week so i'm not you know willing to go out and say that Scarborough's now like the guy hmm. in detroit but he was this week he had 31 snaps uh mckissick played 14 ty johnson had uh 18 at the very least the lions have proven to us that they don't believe ty johnson or jd mckissick is worthy of a featured role and they're still going out trying to find someone that is so for this week it was bo scarborough moving forward we'll see
2: under the radar revenge game for Bo Scarborough, by the way. He was drafted out of college out of <laughs> Alabama in like the sixth or seventh round and immediately cut basically by the Cowboys. One final question for you, Ian, because with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback and there were reports Sunday morning that it might be like a four to five to six week injury here for Matthew Stafford, which is basically the entire rest of the season. Um, what we saw from Marvin Jones was again, two more touchdowns, but just four receptions. And we have to go down pretty far in the list to get to Kenny Galladay. Five targets one reception and 34 yards. Is this, are we at the point already? Because it's not like Jeff school played a horrible game. We're at the point where if you have better options, it's time to start considering benching Kenny Galladay in leagues, depending on the matchup.
3: I don't know about benching, but we at least got to curb our expectations because the problem here is Driscoll is getting all three wide receivers involved, not just two. And we did see Stafford for stretches get all three guys involved, but he was kind of doing it, you know, on these robust pass attempt totals. I mean, Driscoll only threw the ball 26 times. Uh, today I think a part of that was his you know ability as a rusher he's going to take off some more times whereas Stafford might be willing to throw down field more it's not that Driscoll is like this check down backup that refuses to take chances to Galladay and Marvin I mean he does that but at the same time Amendola Marvin and Galladay all had five targets they all had between 11 and 14 targets over these last two weeks so we're seeing much more of a you know committee approach at wide receiver and. Yeah, all these guys are talented, specifically Marvin and Galladay. So as we saw today, you know, uh, Jones can find the end zone a couple times. Galladay, his one reception he did have was this ridiculous acrobatic catch down the middle in contested coverage. These guys are still good enough to produce, but now with a worse, not only a worse situation under center, but also a less uh, volume-oriented passing game, It's we, we got to curb our expectations moving forward. At least expect a lower floor.
2: The New York Jets improved to three and seven, beating the Washington Redskins thirty-four to seventeen. Only one person in the world watched this game, and his name is Hayden Winks. Uh, Hayden, all right. Sam Darnold, nineteen of thirty, two ninety-three, four touchdowns, and an interception. It's been a up and down season, to say the least, for Sam Darnold. But how do you look in this game? Maybe his best performance of the season.
4: Yeah, the Redskins went with the we're not gonna cover anybody all game <laughs> strategy, which ended up hurting them. I guess this was a this was a good sign for Sam Darnold though. Uh, I mean you can only do what the defense has given you. He had a bunch of open touchdowns. Um he had his tight end, everybody was getting involved except Robbie Anson. He had he had a one touchdown but was pretty much unheard for the rest of the game. But yeah, this was a step in the right direction, but it's definitely not something to get uh, too over the top with.
2: Le'Veon Bell, 18, carries 59 yards and a touchdown, so that yards per carry still is not very high. The team's actually leading receiver was Ryan Griffin once again. Five targets, five receptions, 109 yards and one touchdown. All I can think when I see Ryan Griffin's name is Chris Herndon, but alas, this is what we have in 2019. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much seem, seems like to talk about on the Jets side. Jamison Crowder keeps getting his eight targets, five receptions, 76, and a touchdown. I guess the only question, Hayden, is this, and I don't know how many Jets games you've been watching. But what they've been able to do is script very good first drives, and those lead to touchdowns, and a lot of those include yep. Jameson Crowder. Was there anything different in your mind that was here? I mean, you mentioned that the Redskins secondary is absolutely awful, and it is, but it was. did anything else stand out?
4: Um, I was kind of expecting more from Robbie Anderson. I think that's kind of somebody that people are always debating if they should flex him or not. Right now, he's just not doing enough, and Sam Darnold's still struggling on the deep balls. And he, I think he does have some chemistry with Crowder underneath, and um, I think it says something when the coaches are screening plays for these um, slot receivers on the, on the first drives, like you mentioned. So, right now, I think Crowder deserves to be on the flex radar. I think Robbie Anderson. Um, it's going to take more from him before I'm back on uh, back in on him as a flex option.
2: And I mentioned, and I think we all did, a Sam Darnold possible. Starting opportunity coming up, and the Redskins were one of those matchups. I mean, the schedule's so cake, man. It's the Redskins, it it's the Raiders next, it's the Bengals, then it's the Dolphins once again. Obviously, the Jets lost the Dolphins, but let's not remember that. Uh, so it's it's not like these are difficult matchups, and it's it's possible even in a pinch that Sam Darwin might be something that you guys look at. All right, let's look at the Redskins side of this. Uh, Dwayne Haskins made another start, and he was just nineteen of thirty five, two touchdowns and interception. Hey, and it kind of seems like he made some nice downfield throws, but a handful of them were taken away due to penalties.
4: Yeah, he had a really nice ball. It was definitely his best pass of the game. He's kind of rolling to his left, and he has an absolute cannon for an arm. He found Terry McLaurin over the top, but then that got back from for a holding penalty. Um, that was the play of the game. Of course, with the Redskins, it equates to negative 15 yards. Cause I think there was like a personal foul as well after it. So, yeah, another rough day for Haskins. He's just not very mobile in the pocket. He's struggling to diagnose uh, blitzes. And with that, Terry McLaurin's just a really boomer bust prospect. Um, He had an awesome catch down the sideline to kind of save his stat line. But um, it's basically Terry McLaurin, and then that's it.
2: Yeah, you know, this is a difficult conversation with Washington, right? Because people started Terry McLaurin earlier in the year, and now he just has four targets, three receptions, 69 yards. It's not really the type of volume that we can depend on week in and week out. Uh, Darius Guys did get involved here. What would you see out of him? He had seven carries for 24 yards. He also had one reception for 45 yards, which also went for a touchdown.
4: Right, so Adrian Peterson got the start, and the first two drives, I believe, and then Darius Guys came in, and then Darius Guys just looked better in the second half. He ended up having a little higher yards per carry than Adrian Peterson. And the big play was on a screen pass. He had some uh, some blockers out in, the, out in front of him and just made the most out of it and ended up for a 45-yard touchdown. I do think Geis will end up seeing more targets and carries as the year goes on. But I don't think the Redskins have very much incentive to put him into a bigger role uh, or too big of a role just because his injuries and their record. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Geis becomes the 1A in the Back committee.
2: After their surprising loss to the Falcons last week, the Saints respond with a dominant 34-17 win over the Tempe Buccaneers. That brings the Saints to 8-2. and two. John Daigle had that game for us. Daigle, let's start with Saints offense. Drew Brees, 26, 28, excuse me, of 35 for three touchdowns, zero sacks compared to last week taking six sacks. What did you see from the Saints offense? Because it seemed like every single thing that they did not worked to perfection, but worked very, very well.
5: I mean, I would consider perfection, actually. If Drew Brees was needed for more, they easily could have had more. This is a team that took a 20-0 lead in mid-second quarter. And then that's what forced the Bucks, which we'll talk about in a second, to basically become a pass-only offense, not a pass-first. A pass-only offense. But either way, even beyond 20-0, later took a 27 to 10 lead in the fourth quarter. Um, it seemed like it was close, 27-17 at one point. But then again, like that's just kind of what the Bucks do, right? Like they have an explosive offense that lends them to catch up. However, also they have James Winston who, as we will find out in just a bit here, also lends them to get down by multiple scores. <laughs> so, uh, no, had they needed to, Drew Brees could have just kept on cruising. Hit Jared Cook for a 30-yard jump ball over safety Andrew Adams. This was just
2: a beautiful catch and pluck in yeah. the air.
5: Uh, Mike, Mike Thomas's touchdown was a secondary meltdown between rookie Sean Murphy Bunning and the safety at the time. I can't remember who the nickel was playing in that particular play. By the way, just a meltdown that left him wide open on the right side of the line. But no, I mean, they cruised. It, it was It was truly easy for them on this day.
2: You'd think that there'd be more rushing yardage, but that just wasn't necessary here with the Saints. Just 109 total. Alvin Kamara had 75. Tavis Murray had 27. Even my boy, uh, even my boy Ted Ginn got involved with a touchdown catch. Uh, yeah, not much to talk about in the Saints. They just keep. They have the players that they get the football to, and then if a couple other ones like a Ted Ginn make a play, then that's just added extra. And Michael Thomas is just absurd. 11 targets, eight receptions, 114 yards, and a score on the Buck side. I mean, this was a true. True Jameis Winston performance, just looking like an excited puppy in the pocket, like bouncing around like a pinball among his blockers. And then when either he left it or wanted to force something down the field, he was just throwing interceptions. And he finished the day 30 of 51 for 313, two touchdowns and four interceptions. You said it was just a passing performance as a total non-quarterback runs. The Bucks had six. Four to Ronald Jones and just two to Dare Ogunbowale.
5: Yeah, 20 obviously lends itself to take the, the running backs out of commission altogether. And Ronald Jones, like you say, only six touches. But his four carries <laughs> led the backfield. Four carries was their team high. Uh, it was obviously Peyton Barber who got the passing catching touchdown because they were on the one at one point and then they had a penalty and backed up five yards that six-yard dump off becomes Peyton Barber territory since the goal line is his typical forte but up 27-17 Jameis Winston does what he does and uh, throws a miserable pick six, which then brings it the to 34-17. And they drive the field again, of course. But it was a true Jameis Winston game as he's now on pace for over 4,900 yards, but also 29 picks, which will be the most by any quarterback oh since God. Brett Favre did so in 2005. Oh, my God. A few, records, a few records in this one, by the way. Like Mike Thomas now on pace for 150 catches, which would break Marvin... Uh, uh, Why am I forgetting Marvin? Marvin Harrison's uh, all-time record of 143. And then, yes, 29 picks. The last time we really had something like that was 2013 with Eli Manning's 27. But 29, yes, that's Brett Favre in 05.
6: We
2: were just guessing in the newsroom, because Jameis Winston is not playing for the Bucs next year. And if that happens, that's just a ludicrous event to unfold. But, like, who will Jameis Winston play for next year? Like, we threw out some names, and – I don't want to necessarily put them on here, but when you think about it, like a big picture look at, at James Winston and where his career is going, I'm not sure who would want him right now because as many good plays as he makes to receivers like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, one, he's not going to have receivers like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans wherever he lands, and then he just tanks your team in games completely just with absurd decisions and absurd turnovers and it's not just like once every 3 games it's like 3 every one game it's wild
5: yeah and for the rest of this offense though like james winston of course what has happened in the last 2 games now is that uh, 2 games back we had ronald jones getting a Season high and t- eight targets running a season high and tw- with 24 routes run. And we had O.G. Howard involved versus the Cardinals as well. And in this one, we had O.G. Howard getting benched after one target, as you saw in the newsroom, because he tried to he tried to save what was a bobble directly on his hands by corralling it behind his back and that of course led to him getting hit the ball popping up in the air and leading to one of james winston's four turnovers on the day which then led to cam Brake coming off the bench and getting a team high 14 targets because bruce arians was just done and had it with og howard didn't get another target the rest of the day and moving forward like you know, he's only twenty four year old. He's an explosive athlete. This is clearly not the right fit for him, except when they play the Cardinals, which they won't do won't do again. So I don't even you know, I, I guess O. J. Howard's droppable unless you want to keep him on your roster for his uh talent, but that's about it.
2: I mean, just a tight end not named O. J. Howard having fourteen targets in the game is just <laughs> it's mm, insane. Chef kiss <laughs> by the bus. It's Insane. It's just beautiful. All right. The other game you had, I mean, I cannot chef believe kiss this is one. Old was assigned to you. Uh, the Oakland Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals somehow a close contest. Uh, the Raiders at home improved a six and four dude, five and one at home. And they just beat the Bengals by seven, 17 to 10. I mean, the Bengals had multiple opportunities at this game at the end of this game to make it closer to even tie it. And they just couldn't because they are actively playing Ryan Frickin' Finley who completed 13 of 31 passes for 115 yards and an interception like this is tanking because any Dalton probably would have won this game, but they are playing Ryan Finley, not out of spite just because they have no will to win right now.
5: And you could say he was under duress for a lot of the game, which he was because their offensive line is, I, what I think is the worst in the league, even worse than the Dolphins. But even so, Ryan Finley is just a soft-tossing career backup that they are only playing to reach the finish line. This is exactly why Joe Mixon has now out-touched, Gio, out-carried Joe Bernard, I should say, 45-7 to in their last two games, because they're just pounding the rock and trying to go home. Their only goal is April and mine. Until they can get Chase Young or another quarterback, they just have no intention of playing this season. And I cannot imagine... A.J. Green is sitting on that sideline right now with a a quote-unquote swollen ankle. Still not sure that's the case. Still think he may be avoiding the situation altogether. But whatever, let's just say his ankle's swollen right now. He's getting there, sitting, uh, seeing Tyler Boyd from the slot with the Raiders starting slot corner get three targets and catch one ball for zero yards. He's seen Alex Erickson catch one ball for zero yards as well. He's seen Tyler Eifert. The only time Tyler Eifert was used at all this year was his week eight showcase before the trade deadline. And since then he's done absolutely nothing. Like why does AJ Green return to this team? This team is going into the depths of the record book as Owen 16 because they offer absolutely nothing. Joe Mixon perhaps can save fantasy rosters as a low end touch-based only RB2, but then again, you look at their schedule and they have the Steelers next week. I mean, and by the way, if you have the Steelers defense on your oh roster, gosh. Imagine, imagine the Steelers versus Ryan Finley. Like, I kind of want that game just to get excited. But it's very clear that what looked like week one, um, in week one, which is when I believe was the last time I actually was assigned a Bengals game, and we talked about how much fun they were because they masked their deficiencies by heavy play action usage and deep shots over the top like that has since just completely gone away and this is the worst team in football Ryan Fitzpatrick Dolphins beat this team and it's not even close
2: I mean that first half against the Seahawks to open the season was the peak that they had Joe Mixon had a great touchdown run in this game but it was all by individual effort like breaking like three or four tackles and that's just what he has to do in order to produce people were mad about the Miami Dolphins possibly tanking. That hasn't been the case. Like the Dolphins coaches are are getting their team to play hard, yet their front office let talents go in order to get draft picks. The Bengals just didn't do that. And they're also tanking on the field by playing a worse quarterback actively and not playing. Well, I guess AJ Green's probably the one who's not playing, but it's just a, Horrible, horrible situation all around with like an ownership in front office that no one can really believe in, to be perfectly honest with you. So I don't know what's going to happen with them heading into 2020. Okay, the Raiders on this side, uh, Derek Carr continues just to like have a ludicrous completion percentage, 25 of 29, 292, one touchdown, one interception. Josh Jacobs, 23 carries, 112 yards. Uh, Tyra Williams is leading receiver with 82. You just want to put a bow on this offense for us?
5: I am actually pretty excited and hope they sneak into the wild card. I, I do want to see the Raiders play a wild card game and they would probably like end up against the Texans and that would be pretty fun. Uh, but other than that this offense it's the same thing. Derek Carr started 14 of 14 because he just peppers his guys underneath. You know, Hunter Renfro, it's he's a he's a running joke because he's just a safety valve slot wide out. But Hunter Renfro was injected into this offense in week 8. And since that time, over their last four games, he leads them in targets, catches, and receiving yards Uh, because Derek Carr doesn't throw deep. And when he does, the only guy he throws deep to is Tyrell Williams. It was great to see Darren Waller get back on the board here. Foster Moreau did his thing. He comes in on the goal line, runs a little drag route, and he's just left completely wide open because I haven't seen worse linebacking core yet in the entire league outside of when you watch the Bengals play altogether. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I want to see Josh Jacobs in this offense in the playoffs. I really do and see what they have.
2: And it was a big boost. And You talk about how bad the Bengals offensive line was that Oakland's getting pressure now. I mean, Max Crosby, a rookie, had four sacks in this game. Deion Jordan, yes, that Deion Jordan also had a sack in this game. So it'll be interesting to see the Raiders moving forward. And what we expected to be a fantastic game, it turned out not to be. The 41-7 to Ravens win over the Texans at home. Springs the Ravens to 8-2 and two on the season, and the Texans fall to 6-4. and four. Patrick Doherty assigned this game to himself. Pat, <laughs> I mean, this game was so out of hand that Lamar Jackson didn't even need to play, basically, in the fourth quarter. He did end the game 17 of 24, 222 yards, and four touchdowns in the air to go along with 86 rushing yards. This was an absolute steamrolling effort the Ravens put on the Texans.
7: It was. And you know, yeah, I make the schedule every week. And I, I don't always assign myself on um, the game of the week. But this week, I was like, you've been doing a good job lately. Uh, the, the guys will understand. <laughs> uh, you can take the game of the week. And uh, the game of the week, uh, I was watching, you know, I have Sunday ticket, and uh, but I was watching it on... I was watching I was watching on an over the air CBS and they cut away from the game with 9 to 10 minutes remaining. So then I had to dig up the Sunday Ticket channel. So game of the week did not go according to plan, Josh.
2: 27 to nothing at one point this game was. I mean it was from the jump. I mean but it was, it was 34 to in the first quarter. It was 34 30, to nothing?
7: Yes, 34 to nothing.
2: Okay, so how did they do it? Like was the Texans just Because coming into the game, they only allowed, I think, 84 rushing yards per game. Now, we kind of dug into that as the week went along, Pat, and a lot of that was to do with the Texans secondary being so bad that teams just didn't have to run against them. But then today they allowed 263 rushing yards.
7: Yes, I mean, it, this—it was just a complete. It was a team effort collapse on defense for the Texans. They had more injuries on defense today. Uh, that safety wasn't an important player. Uh, I believe it was Brian Adams. They can't. Remember, what's his name? The Brian safety on the Texans. It, someone suffered a concussion in pregame warmups. Is the long and short of it, and set the tone for the Texans defense for the day. Lonnie Johnson got re-injured early, and it was just. But a lot. I mean. So it's just a special athlete facing a banged up and overwhelmed defense and Lamar Jackson's is kind of doing whatever he wants right now and he had a, he had another Heisman moment uh, run today where he almost housed it but I mean you know, Lamar Jackson's not just a running quarterback he's like a quarterback who you know he like he like peels away from people you know like he not only has the instant acceleration kind of like Kyler Murray, I mean he has like breakaway speed. Like he, you don't, you don't, you just don't see breakaway speed even from like uh, most fast quarterbacks, and he's just a special runner. And the Texans, like accounting for his running threat, just don't have. So when they're worried about Lamar Jackson running, the Texans just don't have the horses in the secondary then. So when they're worried about Lamar Jackson running, I mean, he's the kind of, they have the kind of defensive time where he can just pick them apart in the secondary. And that's what happened today. Uh, finally got Mark Ingram going in the passing game, found him for a pair of two really nice receiving scorers, uh, revi- reminded that Seth Roberts is on uh, the Ravens. Did you remember that? I uh, did not. Trash?
2: In uh, fact, when he scored, I think he wears number 11. I was like, who wears number 11?
7: Yeah. He scored a touchdown, his first as a Raven. I've got Mark Andrews finally cooking for some big plays again. Not finally, had a big game last week. Um, found Mark Andrews for a really nice TD. Mark Andrews at a 51 yard catch and run on a third and 16 in the fourth quarter. If you want to know how life uh, was going for the Texans today. Yeah, Is just the Ravens hitting on all cylinders against, you know, not a well-coached team and a defense just, uh, just staggered by injury right now, basically.
2: And Marquise Brown missed a lot of practice this week with injury. He did have four targets, two receptions, 23 yards. He just wasn't necessary in this contest. In fact, Gus Edwards led the team with 112 rushing yards and a 63-yard touchdown. That was all in garbage time, basically. Let's look at the Texans' side of this, Pat, because, I mean, these are two teams that are truly led by their young star quarterbacks. But one team does have a very good defense now, and the Ravens, who, as we've talked about in this podcast plenty of the past couple weeks, have emerged in the secondary as as a great unit, and that's allowing uh, Doc, uh, Wink Martindale to be very, very creative up front with his blitzes. Did that just confuse Deshaun Watson all game long? I mean, he finished just 18 of 29 169 yards and an interception
7: i don't know if he was confused just as much as besieged uh he took six sacks and the majority of those in the first half and he it was so it was probably the worst start of deshaun watson's career they said on the cbs broadcast this is the first time in his entire career that the texans have lost by two or more scores uh, if you want to know what a special player Deshaun Watson is. But he was just overwhelmed today. It was the, it was the, this can become like an excuse cliche, but he was trying to do too much. Both of his turnovers were the result of just trying to do way too much. He lost the fumble when he should have just gone down like literally two or three seconds earlier. Just too many spins and finally lost the fumble. The interception, maybe the worst throw I've ever seen him made. He threw across his body back to the direct center of the field uh, to basically just the entire Ravens defensive line <laughs> and they picked off the ball. Um, so yeah, just the, so the coverage, you know, people weren't open and then the pass rush was really getting this, the Ravens, de- the levels of the Ravens defense was feeding off each other and there just wasn't anything uh, Deshaun Watson can do the whole game and Deshaun Watson's day might've been a little different. I don't know if you saw it early in the game. Deandre Hopkins was, Basically, Nicole Roby Coleman in the end zone, the straight up tackled, and they didn't call uh, pass interference. You know, we get upset with these coaches for challenging pass interference, but the Texans definitely needed to challenge this so one. I thought this would be one of the rare overturns. He was quite literally tackled, DeAndre Hopkins, and still was not uh, overturned on review. So that was a really bad break, the winning against the Texans early, but it probably still wouldn't have made a difference in the grand scheme of what was just another beat down.
2: Carlos Hyde did have sixty-five rushing yards, including a forty-one-yard run.
7: There, th- there was no positives. It, it was nothing. Like, it was the definition Carlos Hyde's touchdown of. It was like the garbage time touchdown to end all garbage time touchdowns. They were losing thirty-four to nothing with seven minutes remaining, uh, and he, he just found the seam and was gone.
2: You mentioned Drew Hopkins had twelve targets. Kenny Stills had seven targets. Just nothing here at all. Like two hundred and thirty-two total yards by the Texans, that's just disgusting. And their season, I'm not going to say it's over. This Texans team is weird, though, right? Like They are. They just are on a tier below the Ravens and a lot of the other really good teams across the NFL. Uh, meanwhile, the Ravens, who are just going straight towards the playoffs, and I cannot wait for them to get there, face the Rams and the 49ers and even the Bills in the next three games. So those should be three really, really fun uh, games as we go along the season all right Pat the other game you had Denver Broncos and the Minnesota Vikings this is a super super close game in fact for the vast majority of it the Broncos were winning in the end the Vikings won 27 to 23 and improved to 5-0 and at home and 8-3 and in total where, where should we start here Pat kind of take us through the storyline of this game
7: well it had the look of the ultimate Kirk Cousins sadness game and it was kind of like a a repeat of the infamous Bills Vikings game from last year. where the Bills randomly roundhoused uh, the Vikings in the middle of the season in Minnesota. Uh, the Broncos were winning twenty to nothing at halftime, and it probably should have been twenty-seven to nothing. But Brandon Allen threw a, a truly atrocious red zone interception with like a minute left in the first half. Otherwise, the game might have been fully over. Um, So it was the Broncos uh, just did whatever they wanted basically in the first half. Cortland Sutton, uh, looking like basically an emerging superstar, uh, was kind of a man amongst boys. uh, Was just straight up bullying Xavier Rhodes, uh, looking like a truly special player. And the Broncos just really rolling in the first half. And then I don't I don't really know what changed, what happened, but then the Vikings were just unstoppable in the second half. Kirk Cousins just leading. One big drive after another, hit some big plays. Uh, You know, it hasn't seemed to have the greatest chemistry with Stefan Diggs this year, but Hmm. he got Stefan Diggs going against Chris Harris, scored a 54-yard touchdown on Chris Harris. He got just a step on Chris Harris, only a step, but that was enough for Kirk Cousins. Hit him for a beautiful pass down the field. Had a beautiful uh, patented kind of Kirk Cousins play-action touchdown to Kyle Rudolph. And the Broncos played close to a perfect game. In the first half, it would have been perfect if they gotten that late touchdown, but they didn't. And then the Vikings did play a perfect half in the second half and got a huge comeback win.
2: So here, pet, here's the drive summaries for the Vikings in this game. Punt, 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 (laughs) fumble, fumble, punt, halftime, touchdown, 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 touchdown. I mean, Mike Zimmer must have just (laughs) laid into them at halftime, just destroyed them. And Kirk Cousins finished this game 29 of 35, 319 yards and three touchdowns. They did nothing on the ground, nothing. 11 carries for Dalvin Cook, 26 yards and a score. Uh, And then the air, because Adam Thielen remains out, Safan Diggs goes off for five targets, 121 yards and a touchdown. And that was probably at the end of that 54-yard long reception that he had.
7: Yeah, Kirk Cousins had 58 yards and a lost fumble at halftime. So it was... Yeah, Kirk, you know, he had been he had been engendering some goodwill again lately, and it just seemed like, in typical Kirk Cousins fashion, he was ready to put it all under the bonfire. And then, like you said, though, in the second half, uh, he just didn't. He rose up to the occasion and changed some narratives. And you know, Dalvin Cook, uh, a weak, a weak-killing effort, unfortunately for a lot of people. He did get a touchdown, but it was this largely a result of you know, the, like the Vikings were behind twenty to nothing, you know, so. Not even the Minnesota Vikings can try to establish it when they're down three scores, going into halftime. So game script just got totally away from Dalvin Cook. Um, probably a well-timed buy for Dalvin Cook. You know, had these huge workloads. Well-timed buy for the Vikings in general. You know, they escape with a game that they probably shouldn't have won. They get en- another week to rest up Adam Thielen, and uh, yeah, another eight and three, and looking like real contenders.
2: Yeah, Dalvin Cook's long carry went for five yards in this game. Kyle Rudolph keeps scoring touchdowns. Another touchdown today. Let's look at the Broncos side of this, Pat, because the two big players were Cortland Sutton, who had nine targets, five receptions, 113 yards. And if we're talking about fatal flaws in certain teams, the Vikings corners certainly are going to be that or possibly will be that when they hit January, if they make the playoffs. Uh, And then Noah Fant. You know, Pat, I mean, I'm not going to say he was perfect. He certainly hasn't been perfect this year, but like you see glimpses from this rookie tight end who's uber athletic, and that's kind of all you can take from rookie tight ends at times. And he had 11 targets, just caught four of those, but went for 60 yards, and they even went to him in a goal to go situation on the final play of the game in the hopes that he would make the play for them at the end.
7: Yeah, I believe they went to him on the final two plays, wow. and the last play he was begging for a DPI penalty when he actually appeared to commit opi uh but he had a, he had a two or three other red zone targets too so they're really looking his way in the red zone that's a great sign you're know, going down the stretch uh when you have a tight end who's both a big play guy and a red zone guy so Noah Fant could be like a true kind of tight end one you know life hack down the stretch and Cortland sutton i just wish like uh, his day could have been even bigger kind of this like stuff that didn't, you know, they kind of like the quintessential stuff not showing up in the box score. He drew a, a DPI that set uh, the Broncos up at the three yard line on Xavier Rhodes uh, earlier in the first half. I believe he lost one. He, I uh, think he maybe lost um, a play to uh, a Broncos penalty. Uh, he had a perfect 38 yard pass, by the way, uh, to Tim Patrick on a Wildcat trick play. Uh, Philip Lindsey took a Wildcat snap and pitched it to Cortland Sutton. And He looked like a regular old Muhammad Sanu throwing the ball, Josh, maybe Mm -hmm. the new uh, greatest quarterback in NFL history. So uh, I've lost my train of thought because he's just such a special young player, and I could talk about Cortland Sutton all day.
2: Well, the next game for the Vikings after bye week is the Seahawks on Monday Night That's going to be a
7: normal game, right? Just two teams (laughs) that play a lot of normal games. Uh, Uh, There's
2: going to be over under 50 carries in that game, Pat. (laughs) Yeah.
7: 50 carries and just lots of weird happenings because the Vikings and Seahawks are both very committed to the never playing a normal game lifestyle
2: the Panthers dropped to 500 five and five on the season with an absolutely awful brutal disappointing horrid disgusting loss to the Atlanta (laughs) Falcons 29 to 3 Nick Menzio laughed at the game so did I he joins us here uh Nick where should we start with this? I, I don't know if we should start in the Falcon side because their season's like done, right? The Panther season prior to this game wasn't necessarily done, but it is now. And so much of it stems from Kyle Allen's performance. 31 of 50, 325, and a ludicrous four interceptions on the day. Encapsulate his performance if you could for us.
8: Yeah, three of those picks came in the red zone as well. One in the end zone, two inside the five-yard line. Just awful throws, man. I mean, this this guy couldn't sense any pressure. He was he was getting pressure pretty heavily. I mean, this this Falcons defense since their bye has been getting a lot more pressure on our quarterbacks from Drew Brees last weekend into Kyle Allen today. Um I mean we've seen Kyle Allen struggle under pressure quite a bit already since he's taken over Cam Newton. Uh he has a fumbling problem, didn't have that problem today, but the, the four picks were obviously a big issue. Uh still, I mean, Christian McCaffrey got 191 total yards. Um, he he's just completely matchup proof, even with Kyle Allen playing as bad as, as bad as a quarterback can simply play. Uh, DJ Moore also had 15 targets in this game. Um, those are two promising things from the Panther side, but nothing else really stands out for them.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the disruption, and he felt it early. I mean, the offensive tackles were allowing, you know, Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley to get up the field. Kyle Allen certainly wasn't climbing the pocket and trying to uh, avoid it. In fact, he was uh, dropping further back. towards zone end zone. And then like the first pick he threw right at Tack McKinley, it was ludicrous. And then there were other ones when he would like climb it. And they were so far out of the screen that you didn't know who he was throwing the football to. And then it was directly to Atlanta defensive backs. And you mentioned the sacks. They had six sacks. The Falcons did against the saints, five sacks today against the Panthers. It was all around awful though. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned did get his almost 200 total yards in this blowout loss, which is ludicrous. DJ Moore keeps getting eight catches, 95 yards. But I'm not sure, like, where the Panthers go from here, Nick. Because, you know, there were rumblings, mentions that, well, Cam Newton, both parties want to move. I don't even know about both parties. It kind of sound like it's from the Panthers and move on from that relationship. And, like, Kyle Allen was being mentioned after a loss of the Packers, which some people said was a feel-good loss, that, like, he might be the answer moving forward. He absolutely cannot be the answer moving forward.
8: No. No, I totally agree with you, man. I mean, I don't see how... I mean, if he if he doesn't get any better over the last month and a half of the season and our two months, whatever we got left here, uh, Cam Newton, I don't know if it's a slam dunk that he's going to get cut like everyone's talking about. I mean, you have a pretty good clue of these Panthers. Yeah, I mean, you used to root for the Panthers. I don't know if you still do. I'm, I'm sure that's a, used to. It's a good heart, way of putting
2: but, it.
8: <laughs> but you probably have a better idea on this, but I, I, I'm with you, man. I don't think I don't think Cam Newton's uh, a surefire slam dunk getting cut after this season.
2: Yeah, with the Kyle Allen situation. It's like if he's your quarterback, you are banking and hoping every week for great defensive performances, Christian McCaffrey to be absurd, and Norv Turner calling perfect plays, and that is not a recipe for success for an entire season. Uh, On the Falcons' side, you know, Brian Hill was the number one waiver ad for basically everyone across every single lead. Well, today, 15 carries for 30 yards, a long run of 11 yards, but he did have one catch for eight yards to go along with that as well.
8: Yeah, this dude, I mean, it looked like he had zero like agility and zero change of direction, zero, like, I mean, he doesn't hit holes hard. Uh, his his long run of 11 yards, like you mentioned, didn't come until, like, late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, He was stuck on 11 carries for 11 yards before that run. Um, had a two-yard touchdown go to Kadri Allison, the rookie out of pit, and also had a one-yard touchdown called back for Hill on a, on a holding penalty by Jamon Brown, so... It could have been a better day for Hill, but he he didn't deserve those touchdowns by any means. He didn't play well.
2: It certainly seemed like the Panthers, at least early on, tried to sell out to stop the run, and that was to the detriment of their passing game. Matt Ryan, 21 of 31, 311 yards and a touchdown. It doesn't sound great, but so much of it went to Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Ridley had eight targets, eight receptions. 143 yards and a touchdown he completely roasted Dante Jackson all over the field and then Julio Jones had this absurd like 48 yard grab that was on I think like a third and 10 or a third down mm-hmm. situation yeah. uh, it was cover two and Luke Keekley was trying to get all the way back to cover his area and once again Julio just like mosses him just catches it right over him and it was a perfectly placed pass by Matt Ryan under duress and Julio finished the day with six catches for 91 yards yeah, I
8: mean, if, if that ball would have been like a yard farther down the field, because Julio had to stop for like a split second to catch the ball. Luke Kigley was like right on his back, too. Like, he, it wasn't it wasn't horrible coverage by any means, but, I mean, Julio did what Julio does. If it would have been a yard further, though, I think it would have been a touchdown, which would have been nice for Julio owners because he hasn't scored since week three. But I'm feeling a nice breakout uh, 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 get-right spot next week against the Bucks past defense.
2: Yeah, it is the Bucs next week. Then after that, once again, they play the Saints, then the Panthers. It's weird, like four games against both of those two teams with the Bucks sandwiched in there as well. Again, the Falcons are three and seven. Maybe they do enough to have Dan Quinn keep his job. That's really kind of what they're playing for right now. And it's this weird thing on defense that they kept bringing up on the broadcast, Nick, that yeah. uh, they have one defensive play caller for first and second down, and then Raheem Morris takes over in passing situations it's worked out the last two weeks, and I'm assuming that's when the change happened. But, you know, two games is the tiniest sample size of all time. So
8: Yeah, I've never even heard of that either. Like, one guy calls the plays on first, second, and another guy calls on 3rd <laughs> third. I've never heard of that in my life.
2: <laughs> okay, the other game you had was a lot more exciting and a lot more fun. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers and Arizona Cardinals played each other once again for like the second time in two weeks, and the 49ers won. It, the score is 36-26, to 26, but there was this absurd last-second fumble return for a touchdown for the 49ers really this was a what three-point game Uh, something closer than that three-point game is that yeah Yeah. definitely a one
8: score game for sure
2: um and i guess we should talk about jimmy garoppolo to start 34 45 424 four touchdowns and two interceptions like that stat sheet reads like he had an awesome performance can you kind Mm -hmm. of talk us through jimmy's day so far
8: yeah the two interceptions were just horrible throws in the red zone um the one was thrown right to the linebacker Jordan Hicks, who I don't know how he didn't see him. He was standing right there the whole time. He, it's not like he jumped into the lane or anything like that. He was just standing there right there inside the five yard line, returned it 40 something yards for to put the Cardinals around midfield. Um, the second one was a, a poorly thrown ball be, behind Ross Dwelly, the tight end went off his fingertips and went up in the air for a, a safety to pick it off as he was diving to the ground. Um, but the four touchdowns were good. I mean, two went to Ross Dwelly, another one went to Kendrick Bourne, and the the fourth one was the game-winner, the Jeff Wilson. I mean, these guys weren't covered on any of the touchdowns, so it's not like they were difficult throws. But, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo put up huge numbers on the statue. The run game wasn't working at all, so he had to do it. And, I mean, I guess you can say he did it.
2: It's odd, right? Like, there was a final drive where – the 49ers converted on like a third down that really should have been fourth and one, looked at it on a replay. Yeah. Then right after that, it kind of seemed like they were playing for a field goal to tie it up and send it into overtime. Then on first down, the Cardinals defense elects to zero blitz and has Chandler Jones one-on-one with Jeff Wilson. And they've been doing like uh, sending more men than the offensive line could pick up for a couple series at that point. But Jimmy did a good job of recognizing that matchup and throwing it off his back foot, falling away from defenders and allowing Jeff Wilson to make a play on it. It just seems like the, the timing of that call made no sense, especially when the 49ers, I think had one timeout or something like that. And it certainly seemed like they were 25, 30 yards from the end zone and their goal wasn't to necessarily get that touchdown at the end of that drive.
8: Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, they, they went out for the zero, blitz there. Jeff Wilson wasn't essentially not even covered in the slot. Um, Easy quick throw, ran right down the field, untouched for the touchdown. Um, I mean, not much else to say. I mean, they they went for the house, went sent the house blitz, and it didn't work. And they got the ball back with like 30-something seconds left, and Kyler Murray threw a five-yard pass, which he did all day long. And it just, I mean, they weren't making plays down the field of all the
2: Cardinals weren't. We'll, we'll talk about the other 49ers here in a second, but – Nick, like, I want to get your read on on where they stand right now because maybe I'm being unfair to Jimmy because like there are times, especially those two red zone interceptions, like you can't make those against really good teams in January and still win. And I kind of feel like that's where this 49ers team is now, right? Like it's it's NFC Championship game or, or bust. Like that's how good this roster is. Mm-hmm. And you know, against the Seahawks, sure he had drops and wide receiver injuries and offensive line injuries, but he didn't play that well on an individual basis. And there were moments in this game where, like, you can't make those plays against good teams and expect to win. But I also don't want to, like, say that he had a bad day because he didn't because he still, like, played within the structure of the offense and led them up and down and put, I guess, really 30 points up on the Arizona Cardinals. It's it's this interesting dynamic, the 49ers' offense right now on the team, because Jimmy Garoppolo... It's kind of the weakest link, but it's still a really, really good team.
8: Yeah, you can tell teams are starting to like sell out and stop the run against them. They want Jimmy to make plays. They want the receivers to make plays. Um, the receivers dropped a bunch of balls last week, like you said. That wasn't a problem this week. I mean, Deebo Samuel was going nuts down the field. Um, he's just a beast in the open field. But, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, against good teams, these mistakes are going to come back and, and prove pivotal in uh, playoffs in January games. So, I mean, like I said, like you said as well, I mean, this is an NFC championship game or Bust roster. Defense is playing great. Um, but Jimmy needs to start making more plays on the field. And, and, he, and he showed signs of that today, like you said. I mean, he didn't play awful.
2: Debo Samuel, with 10 targets, 8 receptions, 134 yards. You mentioned that the Cardinals kind of sold out to stop the run. We all kind of hoped that Tevin Coleman would get a boatload of carries in this matchup with Matt Breida out. And it was just 12 carries for 14 yards. Uh, he did have 48 receiving yards, including a long uh, swing pass of 37 yards. So, to go out there. Um, yeah, that's about it. I mean... Murray Mostert got six carries and spot duty for Matt Breida, two catches for 14 yards. Emmanuel Sanders hurt three catches for 33 yards. Let's talk about the Cardinals here. Kyler Murray still is just awesome. I mean, he, look, the passing numbers might not be huge. 24, 33, 150, and two touchdowns. But he also had this 22-yard run for a score to go along with 67 rushing yards. In your words, tell us what you thought of Kyler Murray today against a very, very difficult defense.
8: I always seem to get these games when, like, when we're getting assigned games during the week, where where Kyler averages like less than five yards per attempt. So I always see these games where he's never throwing the ball downfield, which is just annoying to me. But these are the games I get stuck with. I mean, they didn't challenge the ball down the field at all. I mean, after Christian Kirk went nuts against the Bucks last week, I want to see them throw the ball down the field again to him. It, it just wasn't happening. Um, they settled for a bunch of short throws around the around the line of scrimmage um but Kyler with his legs i mean that 22 yard touchdown run that put the game put the Cardinals on top 26-23 in the fourth quarter that was just awesome thing and beauty um he was running the ball early in the game as well had a couple long runs early in the first quarter um just he looks awesome i mean i just wish they would throw the ball down the field more but i mean it's hard to complain he's been he's been great as a rookie
2: they did try to go vertical i think it was like the first series or the second one cuz it's interesting cuz defensive pass interference isn't included in these and Richard Sherman had three on Christian Kirk, including one that was like stopped right at the one yard line. Um, And that impacted Christian Kirk's line. He was still the team's leading receiver, but just six receptions and 41 yards on nine targets. But again, did draw, I think three DPI penalties, but yeah, I mean, not much happening here offensively outside of Kyler Murray. Kenyon Drake ran instead of David Johnson, 16 carries for 67 yards. In fact, David Johnson didn't record a catch, didn't record a carry. Did he even play in this game, basically?
8: Uh, pro Football Focus had him with two snaps. If, oh he, if he played him, I didn't see him.
2: Wow. D- was there even a backup, or was it just no, it was Drake, Drake in the entire Drake time?
8: Handled, Drake handled all 22 touches in the backfield, and Chase Edmonds just hurt, Obviously, as we know. Um, David Johnson was active, but didn't only played those two, two to five snaps. I, w- I wouldn't give him any more than five snaps in this game, but wow.
2: yeah, it was just all Drake. The Colts absolutely dominated the Jacksonville Jaguars at home, 33-13. So after losing to the Miami Dolphins last week with Brian Hoyer at quarterback, Jacoby Brissett leads them to a 6-4 record. Meanwhile, Nick Foles is back at quarterback for the Jaguars. This certainly does not seem like, from a top-down view, a good performance for the Jaguars at all, who fall to 4-6. Anthony Costa had this game for us. Anthony, look at these numbers. 33-47 for Foles, 296 two touchdowns and an interception. Can you kind of like paint the picture for what
9: Foles' day was like? This really wasn't a good spot for Foles. Division game after a 10-week layoff, he had the two touchdowns, but the offense went nowhere. A lot of stalled drives. They scored on the second series and on the final drive, and that was it. I thought Foles made some bad throws. The interception was underthrown in the double coverage. A lot of single-read stuff. He locked on to DJ Shark the entire game. 15 targets for Shark. Obviously, first be, first game back for Foles, and it wasn't all bad. But I don't think his leash is that long. Really, I think the decision to go to Foles is that they owe it to him. I can definitely see the Foles contract is something they try to get out of in the offseason. But yeah, not a good return for Foles. But this is going to be his job to lose over the next few weeks.
2: It is noteworthy, and you pointed out, that 15 targets to DJ Shark eight receptions, 104 yards and two touchdowns. Cause there was questions heading in. If he would, you know, see the same type of volume or connection that he had with Gardner Minshew. And I think that's obviously the case. That is yes, because Chark is just a bona fide wide receiver, one an NFL team. Like he's a great outside receiver, making a awesome second year jump. Meanwhile, people were excited heading into the season about DD Westbrook um, because he plays a slot. And we know Nick Foles had targeted the slot in previous stops today six targets four receptions 32 yards is there anything that you think that that can grow at all or is this kind of how you see the passing game funneling as we're moving forward i know just one game so i'm asking you to do a lot here but just from inquiring minds want to know
9: yeah and we had the one quarter in week one but shark also caught a touchdown that week so yeah i mean shark looked good like you said um You know, I think he kind of got away with the touchdown there at the end. It was like a push-off, and I'm not sure it was even a catch, but they let it stand. There was a lot of talk about how Foles is a better fit for Westbrook, but it it was still all shark. Um, You know, Westbrook's usage was actually down only six targets, but I also think it was kind of a shy away matchup because the Colts are good against the slot, so maybe that played into it, but Foles doesn't look like an upgrade to Westbrook for me. Hmm. and I don't really see him getting a bump down the stretch.
2: Leonard Fournette did absolutely nothing. Eight carries, 23 yards. He did add seven catches for 34 yards. Looking at the Colts' side of this, Rissette, like we said, returned, didn't have to do too much. Four, 15 of 24, 148, one touchdown, one interception. The What I want to focus on is Marlon Mack started off this game on fire. 14 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown. He then had to leave because of a hand injury and was ruled out. Pretty quickly and then stepped in Jonathan Williams, a guy who was bounced around a ton. In fact, I remember talking him up when he was like LaShawn McCoy's handcuff and Buffalo, like he even looked good then, but then he stepped in and did even better 13 carries for 116 yards and added one reception for 31 yards. So one, can you kind of take us through this Marlon Mack injury and two, just how good Jonathan Williams looked because people will want to know when they enter their waivers heading into this week.
9: This, this would have been one of Mack's best games. Uh, had a really nice touchdown, that double spin move. He broke some tackles on on the touchdown. Um, He left in third quarter. Like you said, immediately rolled out. No one really saw what happened with the injury, but it's not surprising that it's serious based on how fast they rolled him out. Hmm. But, yeah, broken hand, not a good injury for a running back. David Johnson missed basically the entire year with a broken wrist in 2017. That's not what I'm seeing on Twitter. The Shafton report makes it sound like it's a week-to-week thing. But he's out for Thursday, and very possible he misses multiple games. Jonathan Williams, okay, this is going to be a trendy waiver ad. Williams obviously had a huge game, had some splash plays. He ended up out snapping Hines, and he was the early down back when Mack went down. But there's some moving parts. Mack is out, but we don't have a timetable on Jordan Wilkins. Wilkins missed this week. I'm not sure he's out for Thursday, but he probably is. So, yeah, they should use Williams in the Mac roll. He's the touch favorite, and there's definite short-term value. Any running back starting behind the line has value. But there's also a lot of unknowns, so it may only end up a one-week thing.
2: And once again, just no passing game was needed for this Colts offense. 264 yards on the ground, just 148 in the air. And that includes just 17 yards uh, in Zach Pascal's direction. The Buffalo Bills improved to seven and three destroying the Miami Dolphins 37 to 20. This one was actually in Miami. Jesse Pantusco had this game. Jesse, I see Josh Allen 21 of 33, 256 and three touchdowns in the air to go along with 56 rushing yards and one touchdown on the ground. It kind of seems like the good Josh Allen took this game over.
6: Yeah, this might have been the best game I've ever seen him play. He tied a career high in touchdown passes with the with the three as you mentioned. Actually, the last time he through for three touchdowns was also against the Dolphins in last year's season finale, so you take that with a grain of salt. Not an awesome opponent, but you know, good quarterbacks take advantage of good matchups, and Allen definitely did today and had a ton of success throwing to John Brown, who scored two of those three uh, receiving touchdowns.
2: Yeah, John Brown went off, fourteen targets, nine receptions, 137 yards in those two scores, as you mentioned. Uh, someone who did not go off for a big day, Devin Singletary, sure, 15 carries. 75 yards. I believe there was also a fumble in there, but in a game where it seemed like it was just so positive game script, you kind of expect more from a back. Sure. He completely dominated Frank Gore who had 11 carries for 27 yards. Did you see Devin Singletary as a talented player in this game or someone who is just an extra piece?
6: I thought he played reasonably well. He had 75 yards rushing. And as he's done throughout the year, he broke off a, a number of big runs the ball security is, is definitely an issue though. He fumbled it twice. Luckily for him, neither of them resulted in turnovers. One of them came at the end of a, I believe, a twenty yard run and, and John Brown fell on top of it. And the other he recovered himself. But you know, losing the football is a good way to end up in a coach's doghouse. So and you know, we've seen that happen in Seattle with Chris Carson and plenty of other places. So hopefully you can, you know, take care of the football a little better next week in Denver.
2: On the other side, in Miami, I mean, there's nothing here at all. I mean, Kalen Balazs had nine carries, nine yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw 45 passing attempts with no touchdowns and no interceptions. Devontae Parker, though, 10 targets, seven receptions, 135. Is there anything to take away from this Dolphins team?
6: I think Devontae Parker is definitely usable, whether you want to slot him in there as a flex or a weekly wide receiver three. He's shown a pretty decent floor. He's cleared 50 yards in five of his last six games, and now has a pretty big opportunity with Preston Williams, who their undrafted rookie who had been playing pretty well, uh, is out for the year with a torn ACL. So he is very much the number one guy and has you know played a lot better since Ryan Fitzpatrick took over the offense from Josh Rosen.
2: And the Bills, who are getting no respect from Vegas throughout. This season, despite being seven and three, they were underdogs last week, I believe, against the Bills. Excuse me, against the the Browns, and they and, did lose. And they do, and they did lose. That is correct. Uh, have the Broncos and the Cowboys and the Ravens and the Steelers and the Patriots coming up? So it's really that important time of calendar for the Bills to determine if they're getting in the playoffs. All right, the other game you had, Jesse, if you don't mind us moving on from that snooze fest, uh, is the New England Patriots beating the Philadelphia Eagles in Philly. 17 to 10. Obviously, that takes the Patriots to 9 and 1, the Eagles to just 5 and 5. Very little offense on both sides of this one. Tom Brady seemed extremely frustrated despite the victory. 26 of 47, 216, no touchdowns. Uh, in fact, Julian Edelman was the one who threw the touchdown pass and a little throwback action over the middle of the field. Uh, I mean, this certainly wasn't a positive game, a positive takeaway for the Patriots offense.
6: No, not really. And that's sort of been the case for them all year. They have been a, sort of a defense first team where, you know, their secondary has absolutely carried them. And that was the case again today. But yeah, Brady, it was a real struggle for him. Coming off the bye, he thought that maybe Josh McDaniels would have cooked up you know, something uh, that would that would kind of squash the Eagles. But he looked very ordinary today. He looked his age. He's 42. It definitely wasn't the showcase, you know, 505 yard masterpiece he had the last time he faced Philadelphia in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I believe uh, they said on the broadcast his 14 first half incompletions were the most he's ever had in a half in his career, which is pretty staggering. And, you know, he lost Philip Dorsett to an injury in the second half. He was actually concussed on that touchdown pass by Julian Edelman. And they were kind of working some new pieces with Nikhil Harry making his, his uh, NFL debut after a lengthy uh, absence due to a, a ankle injury. So, yeah, the Patriots offense just and obviously just didn't get a lot out of Sonny Michelle either. But uh, they did not really look look very in sync. But luckily, their defense came to play and they're they're nine and one.
2: Ten targets for Julian Edelman resulted in five yards and 53 yards, or five receptions for 53 yards. Nikhil Harry made his debut. Um, He had four targets, three receptions, 18 yards. Muhammad Sanu, I think, was hobbling in this game quite a bit. Landed on, like, his left ankle or something and just looked bad, but he returned quickly after four targets, two receptions, just four yards. What about the Eagles side? I mean, Jesse, everything just looks super difficult for the Eagles to create anything offensively. Carson Wentz was 20 of 40, 214 yards and a touchdown. Miles Sanders, 11 carries, 38 yards. Zach Ertz is the team leading receiver with 94, but no one else crossed that 40-yard mark. Just an ugly day all around for this Eagles offense.
6: Yeah. Uh, Carson Wentz took a season-high five sacks, I believe. The Patriots were relentless in the pressure they brought and really had their way, especially after... Their all-pro right tackle, Lane Johnson, was lost to a con- concussion in the first half. That really seemed to affect Wentz. And obviously the Eagles weren't dealing with a full deck in this game. They were, without their starting running back, Jordan Howard, who missed time due to a stinger-slash-shoulder injury. And Alshon Jeffrey didn't play this game either. And and obviously Deshaun Jackson is, is really hasn't played at all this year. So they were forced to... You know, give heavy snaps to Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews, who's back with the Eagles for the third time uh, and didn't look in in sync at all with Wentz. I believe he caught just one of six targets. So there was just and, you know, he's going against a very tough defense. So there was a lot working against Carson Wentz in this off, uh, you know, a lot working against him today against New England.
2: That's going to do it for us. Again, we'll be back Tuesday thursday friday with more episodes for you and please if you enjoy this episode rate and review hit that little box in itunes leave us a five star leave us a note does help us out or just tell one friend and just tell one friend about the pod appreciate you all talk to y'all soon see ya
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters